Hey there, and welcome to the Endurance Town USA podcast, a state of mind destination where endurance athletes of all levels connect. This episode of our Faces of Endurance mini-series is brought to you by Race Slow and their Slow Ultra Trail Running and CrossFit-style games this October. Find out more by visiting slowultra.com. That's S-L-O, ultra.com. I'm Travis Ford, producer and man behind the curtain here at the Endurance Town USA podcast. Today, our host, Samantha Pruitt, sat down with someone who I can truly only describe as an endurance badass. <laughs> this is a guy who has absolutely crushed every goal, every race, every competition, anything that's ever been put in front of him before. I am, of course, talking about Captain Robert Killian Jr. It would be nearly impossible to try and tell you all the awards that this extreme athlete has won. Few of them are Army Athlete of the Year 2010 national champion 2011 world champion 2015 u.s army's best ranger 2016 and 2017 world's toughest mutter top america if none of that rings a bell you may know killian from the spartan world where he won the award of spartan perfect delta finisher if you don't know what that is i'll put a little bit of information in the show notes for you but needless to say it's pretty insane the best part about Captain Killian is he's a genuinely nice guy. I truly enjoyed meeting him, and you're really going to enjoy listening to his story. So I'm going to hand it over to Samantha. Hey, good morning, Robert. How are you? Doing well. Cool. Getting a PA in a better environment. Just looking at the ocean and enjoying the view right now. Yeah, so we're hanging out in Avila Beach. We did some training on Camp Slow yesterday for the California Warrior team that's heading off to Primal Quest, the first adventure team for California Warrior to uh, head into the adventure space. So we had some fun yesterday and now we're out at the beach. We're gonna do some kayaking today with your teammates. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, it's uh, one of the things I probably enjoy the most is doing something for the first time that's never been done before. I've uh, yeah, kind of established uh, quite a, I guess, for resume of setting history. First National Guard team ever to win the best ranger competition. And I feel like this is a good correlation to what we did there and uh, having a team of two versus now having a team of four will change a little bit of the dynamics. But I think the competition is very similar to what we'll be doing in Primal Quest. So I'm very excited to come out and see how that translates from military to civilian. Oh, good point. And I think there's a lot of correlations there, a little bit of different lingo. Just got to learn. Just like looking at a map, you know, orienteering versus land navigation is a little bit different. You just got to learn the the different symbols and translate it. So I think that's going to be a key factor. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And your teammates, you were just introduced to them, right, yesterday. So that's pretty exciting, too, to kind of get a whole fresh team and sort of see how it comes together. Oh, absolutely. I mean, your team will make or break you. You can be the strongest individual, but you have to figure out, you know, what your strengths are, what your team's strengths are and how to work together or you're not going to get anywhere. That's just like the bottom line. I think, yeah, we have some really good personalities. I think that's that's where you start with anything. You can't just rely on, you know, like... Four guys or two guys, two girls, um, three guys, you know, one guy, whoever, are, um, are on your team necessarily, but you have to have that compatibility. Like, you could all be the most fit, you know, athletes out there, but if you don't work well together, I think that's a, a big limiter. I think we have a really good mesh of personalities, and I think that's important, and that'll, that'll be a strength that we'll have going out there. Yeah. Well, today I wanted to get to know you a little bit better as a person, a little bit about your personal story, and then how it weaves into endurance sports and how you've directed your entire life in this yes. 
fashion at this point. So tell us uh, where you were born and a little bit about your family. Yeah, so I was born in Charleston, South Carolina. So all the way on the East Coast, similar, you know, view that I have right now of the ocean. Um, Charleston, South Carolina, really beautiful city. And then went to the Citadel there. So I stayed local to where I was born to go to college. Obviously a really big military interest Is that from at the your Citadel. family then? Yeah, so I grew up with my uncle. Um, my parents separated when I was young, probably like five, six years old, mm -hmm. and I kind of was back and forth, and then eventually ended up having my uncle as my legal guardian. So he was a National Guard member, oh, South cool. Carolina, a lieutenant colonel, ranger qualified, went to the Citadel. So it was kind of, I guess, my father figure kind of followed in his footsteps type deal, growing up with him. And got my degree, went to a... Uh, Fort Polk, Louisiana. That was yeah, not the best base to be stationed at um, right out of college um, for your first duty station, but I think it really introduced me to a different level of sport that I wouldn't have done endurance okay. sports because that's kind of where I got started doing long distance stuff because I really didn't have any other options. I mean, there was... You didn't do running in high school or sports in high school? Yeah, no, I absolutely ran cross country, track and field, but I only focused on like mile, two mile. Okay. I didn't do any endurance stuff. I never ran half marathon, marathon, 10 miler, nothing like that until I was in Louisiana well after college. I guess it was, it was right after college. So uh, first duty station there, four years, and I got into triathlons. So I had never biked or swam in college, but I just thought it would be something cool to try and then of course once you start doing triathlons you hear about Kona and that's like all anyone thinks about when uh <laughs> when you start out the sport you want to go to Hawaii and you want to do the biggest hardest longest distance that's out there and they started you know um as Navy SEALs out there doing the competition became into a civilian competition and that was actually where I did my first true marathon was at the end of an Ironman oh, and everyone awesome. thought I was crazy they're like <laughs> They're like, ah, how many marathons are you on? I was like, I haven't done any. That and, uh, will be today. <laughs> yeah, so I was in a uh, quarter lane. It was uh, it was an awesome venue, a great race. It was my first Ironman, and I ended up doing really well. This is while and, you're in college? No, this is right after college right when after I was college. in Louisiana. Okay. Uh, so I'm still at Fort Polk doing military training, trying to do races on the weekend. Just, you know, I had a coach who lived in Alexandria, Louisiana. And uh, they were helping me out. They owned a running, local running store. So you know how the community is. If you get involved with some of the local running stores or brands that are in your town, they usually have like really good groups and that's, you know, mentors. So they kind of helped me get into triathlon and got to go to Kona three times. So wow. once on my own, twice representing the army. So there's a amazing programs, uh, all army sports. And they have, you know, whatever sport you're, you're looking at doing. You have tennis or they have track and field events. They have orienteering, triathlon, swimming, road biking, marathon team. And you just qualify based off of, you know, your, your race results you put in to be requested on the team. You may get like one training event through the year, like similar to what we did this weekend for the National Guard for our Primal Quest team. And uh, you go out and compete in championship events either in a separate category. So like for Kona Ironman, I was competing for the military division, just like they have age group or elite or pro. So I only competed against the Air Force, Marines, Navy, Coast Guard, and you had to qualify to be that one representative for your service. 
So wow. I was the only army male to go out there and represent the army, which is, there's a lot of pressure, you know, like right. <laughs> there's no backups, there's no alternates, like you have to go out and perform. Pressure and a huge so, amount of honor associated with that. It is, That's yeah, really absolutely. Cool. And I, I was fortunate enough to go out and win my wooden bowl and my my Timex uh, watch, you know, with, with Kona on it, which is pretty cool. You know, you, you don't have those opportunities all the time. and. They named me 2010 Army Athlete of the Year for that. And I, yeah, I kind of got hooked on the endurance side of sports after that. Moved to Colorado. Okay. After Louisiana, I really want to take my training to the next level. And of course, that's a triathlon hub in Boulder. Mm -hmm. A lot of really good opportunities to road bike and again, be in that community. And uh, Were you still in the military at this point? So no, I, that's when I made my transition from active duty to National Guard. But I don't know, you know, how familiar people are with some of the programs in the, the National Guard, but you actually have, you know, ADOS opportunities, active duty for operational support, where you can go onto active duty and support operations that are going on within the National Guard. So I transitioned seamlessly from active duty Army to active duty National Guard. So I never really made the, uh, the one weekend a month, two weeks, um, a year commitment until 2015. Okay. So there was a period of six years where I was working active duty for the guard. I really had a, you know, pursuit of, I always want to try to challenge myself to do the next hardest thing. If it's in the military, if it's in life, if it's in racing, whatever it is. And I think that's where I, I was already ranger qualified and I wanted to be a Green Beret. I wanted okay. to try to go to like dive school. I want to try to you know, go to Halo, like do all these special forces. Yeah, really special, you know, operations, community type things. Mm -hmm. So that's what I pursued for two and a half years of training. It was a long time, a lot of work, and that's where I met my wife. Mm -hmm. She also military? No, she's from Zimbabwe, so Southern Africa. And everything that was going on over there, formerly Rhodesia, with their, you know, civil war mm -hmm. and everything, they had a major conflict in a lot of the white farmers and just white whites in general were kicked out of the country or yeah. had to leave due to you know a very strict dictatorship that's that's been there for years and years so they were able to get into the united states on a extraordinary talent visa they're wildlife artists her and her family yeah that's so her dad so he's, he's had some artwork on the cover of national geographic he's had some major um shows um, and on artwork. So if you're in that top 5% of a category in the entire world, the U.S. will grant you a extraordinary talent visa. So they were able to do that. They were able to get their citizenship after 10 years. So they, they originally moved to Florida and then um, her dad's heavily involved with like the Red Cross and helping soldiers because he was in the RLI, the Rhodesian Light Infantry. And uh, he suffered a major knee injury due to a um, mortar blast. So he's, half of his knee is, is blown off and his calf. So he's really involved with helping wounded veterans, even if they are, you know, United States versus whatever other country. So yeah, he's heavily involved with helping those veterans find an outlet for stress, PTSD, um, getting over their injuries through painting, because that's kind of how he changed his life I guess after he was injured in the military he you know went to wildlife and 
from reference photos that they take of either lions or elephants or giraffe or whatever they'll come back and create art yeah create artwork wow. and it's it's pretty awesome and uh they're really really fine uh detailed artwork so it's it takes a lot of time to start a painting to finish it and to commit to it and yeah seeing them kind of progress from start to finish or seeing my wife was a pretty cool process so she decided one day to move to boulder randomly from florida i guess she didn't like the coast or she just wanted to see some mountains and i have some friends in boulder who are kenyans who train a lot and of course the small community of africans meet up to watch you know the world cup <laughs> um, soccer awesome. and they just happen to be you know in the neighborhood that run with my kenyans and she didn't have a tv so she was over their house and it all kind of just like like what is this girl doing over here like who is this chick you know like, <laughs> But she has this British accent because Zimbabwe was British colonized, so she does the, you know, tea and has the accent and stuff, so it threw me off, but... Uh, Caught your attention to say Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So we started talking in very small world. So her dad, when she took the... Or when her dad took the job with the Red Cross, it was actually in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Oh, wow. And I had just accepted, you know, Special Forces training opportunity which my base was going to be in Fort Bragg North Carolina mm -hmm. and she had only been in Colorado for five months and she wasn't ready to leave but I was like hey I have to go to this training so I'm going to North Carolina Maybe I know it's a come. big commitment yeah <laughs> so I was like I'll you know so we got engaged before we left just to show that type of commitment and the neighborhood we moved in her parents were only about a mile from our house wow so it was kind nice. of a good deal for me to have that assurance that she'd be taken care of while i was in the field or you know gone and stuff like that she'd kind of have that outlet and uh we ended up having our son christopher while we were going through the training there which was it was awesome to have that experience but it was at the same time, it was extremely difficult while I was going through my training. Like, uh, I missed, you know, some of the things didn't I... didn't get to really enjoy it. Yeah, I didn't get to enjoy the whole process, but we did that with my daughter, Olivia. So she was born in Colorado, and when we got back, yeah, it was awesome to uh, to get to go through that in Colorado and be there for, for kind of everything. And by some miracle of God, I was able to win my first ever world championship event three weeks after my daughter was born in Tahoe for oh, a Spartan race. Oh, I love it. I love it. And, well, uh, all that inspiration, right? Yeah, like, it was so crazy. so inspired by your own family and life and connections that's fueling you as an athlete, for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, you have to be happy and satisfied in all aspects. You can't just be out there training hard. You have to have that connection and you have to have that hunger to want to compete, that happiness in your life and a balance. Like, that's definitely a key to success that I think a lot of elite athletes or pro athletes sometimes miss if they don't have that family environment if they're just out there by themselves and it's not necessarily bad there's a lot of people who like that like they have that structure and they they have that discipline they just want to be in their own environment in their own schedule all the time but but human connection i mean honestly why are we on this planet right so yeah. what's our driving force all of us need that on some level yep. um, some of us more than others obviously but that's really the root of who we are as people so what are your what are your values and going into what your driving force or motivations are for pursuing not only the military so answer that one first if you wouldn't mind but then secondarily sports um you know i think going into the military was just really important for me to give something back i saw you know my uncle you know, being deployed or you know when i was young and i i was in the locker room i mean i remember it 
like it was yesterday um, when 9-11 happened. Um, you know, I was at the Citadel and I, when you're in college on an ROTC scholarship, you're ineligible to be on active duty. Like you have to finish out your commitment as a cadet and graduate college. So there was no way that I could deploy or do anything at that time. I wasn't sure how long anything was going to be going on, but I definitely wanted to be a part of you know, combating the people who were responsible for that. And I think that was a big driving factor at the time. And just having that, you know, duty obligation to give something back to those who made those sacrifices so that we can pretty much do what we want in the United States. I mean, I know there's a, a lot of controversy around, you know, what freedom is, but I think we have it pretty good in the States. And I, I think that, yeah, it's important for, you know, you to either serve in the guard or in a some type of, law enforcement or there's a there's a ton of ways to give back to the community even just sure. there's so many programs here and slow you know just helping with different academies for troubled kids or you know but that's all centered around military bases and government that's right. funding that's right so it's uh it's all about like you said making those connections and really helping and making a difference and i think um for me um, you know, there's a lot of experience that I've had in sharing that knowledge with people and trying to train and teach people. I think that's very important because a lot of people have so many experiences in life and they'll hold them in. They won't share them and they won't give them to people or they won't share that knowledge. And I think there's people out there who are looking for maybe that little extra nudge or push or guidance um, or influence, you know, to do something that they maybe didn't even know was out there or possible or just a little bit of inspiration will go a long ways. Yeah, I think, you know, being loyal and, and being uh, true to yourself, and I think those are some of the values that kind of drive me. And, and I do have a weird desire to win things sometimes. Like, I, I want to be competitive. Like, so where yeah, does that come from? Where's that competitive edge? How was it fostered growing up? And was there someone of significance who mentored you into the sport or as you were pursuing, like, hey, I might be actually pretty damn good at this, going from being, you know, elite, professional, kind of moving through the process. Yeah, I think uh, it's a weird thing how you get your motivations. Like mine, I think, was inspired. Like I wasn't the popular kid growing up. I wasn't, you know, I came from a, a broken home and I grew up with my uncle. And, you know, seeing normal kids out there wasn't... The, I mean, I, I got picked on and there's just some things that, you know, I, I didn't always get picked up for the athletics. You know, when you're doing the, you know pick your roster for basketball or, or flag football or whatever but I, I think I use that as a motivation you know I I remember you know wanting to do running and be on some of the teams that were out there we would do you know our one mile or 800 meter run for PT and I would do really well and you know one of my one of my coaches you know just said I remember he told me he's like well you're just not fast enough to be on the team and I, I really took that to heart like I was like dude like I I think I am so I had that personal Nice. You know, fire to prove him wrong. So I, I came back and I did really well. You know, I think that's one of the things that I, I kind of got from that is, you know, sometimes you have to be so good that people can't ignore you. That's right. And that's one of the, ex, I guess, mantras I go by is like, if you perform well enough, like people want to know, yeah, how you got to that level, like what drives you and, the, and those kind of things. So yeah, I think uh, being competitive, I kind of realized that, you know, there's a lot that comes with it. I, I mean, I don't know that I would have been able to get a scholarship, you know, if I hadn't done really well in high school. And I, you know, I, I went and ran, set a bunch of records for my high school within, you know, the mile, the two mile that still hold. I, you know, 
would come back from races and they would announce you on the morning TV and you know you'd see people like having that pride for their school and they would see you in the hallway and they'd be like man great job this weekend like you did well you represented you know our school and you went to the state finals and you you know took the bronze medal you know for the state championship cross-country track stuff like that then you get colleges that are interested in you and you have the it just opens the door for opportunity like sports at some facets if you're if you're good enough to yeah have be at that elite level going to college and you know competing and then I never really aspired or thought that I would have a professional athlete career I was more focused on the military and one of the things I found when I first joined it's really hard to blend the two like I think that was one of my problems initially too when I was doing a lot of sports is I did so many different ones because I wanted to try I wanted to be skilled at like a, a lot of things I didn't just you so still I, do a lot of different things <laughs> yeah I tried basketball and I tried like road biking or you know I, and I never really focused on one event I think that's why I never got to the professional level because I never really honed in I, re I wanted to be good at everything and okay. it's hard to put the amount of time that you need into one certain sport if you want to go out and snowboard and surf and like I was on a sailing team in college like I was a jib man so I was like I did all these random sports that really don't they correlate in some aspects they're water sports but then I moved out to Colorado and yeah I'm doing like snowboarding or mountain running or now I want to do triathlon biking and I think it was just the right time right place opportunity because when you transition from uh, active duty to like National Guard you I had all this leave saved up I never took leave I never took time oh, off so fantastic. I had like I had like five months where they're like hey you have all this time like go do something yeah what do you want to do and I'm like well I I want to train I want to yeah I want to go to Hawaii I want to do an Ironman I want to yeah pursue athletics for a little bit I think I'd be good at it so after I had done you know a certain amount of stuff in the military I Still stayed in touch with the All-Army Sports Program, and then I think my big transition was getting involved in the Best Ranger competition. That's where it all kind of clicked. Came to That's a where hit. everything, yep, kind of changed. And I wanted, I had the desire to win that competition after after doing it the first time, but I I only finished 24th out of, or 23rd out of 24 teams. So you start with 50 teams of two, 100 uh, soldiers. All Ranger qualified. You all have to go through numerous qualification standards just to even get to show up to the competition okay. for your unit. So you're representing a major division, 10th Mountain Division, 25th ID, Ranger Regiment, um, Special Forces, whatever it may be, whatever unit. You're in a two-man team. And uh, yeah, I just went out and I, I fell in love with that format of three days of just, you don't know what you're doing. There's no... <laughs> The unexpected yeah there's no maps there's no there's somewhat of a historical event list you can look up online and see what other what they've done in years past but that doesn't necessarily correlate to what you're going to be doing mm -hmm. so you have you just have to be ready for anything and you have to be proficient at shooting not tying mountaineering swimming kayaking running rucking i mean uh, jumping out of helicopters parachuting operations medical tasks i mean you're out there treating like real life you know mannequins that they use in hospitals training and stuff that have real tissue blood coming out of them like they're all computerized but i mean those things are like 10 20 grand a piece they're extremely intricate and you if you mess something up like so you really have to be skilled you can't just be like oh i'm gonna put on a tourniquet and call no it yeah no you're doing like needle decompression <laughs> like yeah you're doing the full workup head to toe in a specific sequence to make sure that they're 
I'm ready to go, oh, by the way, there's mortar rounds going off around you and you have to be cognizant and you have, you know, 50 plus pounds of gear on, body armor, so there's, and you have to move, extract this guy to a helicopter extraction, call up on the radio for communications, you have to set the radio up. There's just so many tasks that were involved and I, I just really thought that it was important to, you know, maintain proficiency not only as a soldier, but um, as an athlete, because you have to be fit to be able to do that as well. So it just really worked um, hand in hand with the training that I, I felt like I needed to do each year to stay current on, you know, deployment tasks and being proficient on being a special operations attachment commander, because at the time that's what I was when I graduated the Q course as an officer. There's only one job you can do is, you know, detachment commander and you lead a team of 12 total soldiers, including yourself. And it's it's nice to have like a small unit and specialized or specialized soldiers in each different task, whether it be medical or demo or weapons maintenance or mobility. Uh, if you're out there doing either yeah, offshore ops in boats or kayaks or scuba diving or you're in the mountains doing you know, off-roading with ATVs or mobility vehicles or your airborne operations into an environment you've never been into, you know, via a aircraft. So you come in, you know, either land, sea, or air, mm -hmm. and you have to be able to do certain missions. So, You know what I'm curious about is you went from being an individual sport participating in specific things, right? Yep. So you yep. all in. And then you transitioned, for sure, in this instance, you it was a two-man team, but even in your leadership space in the military, you've got teams that you're leading. Yeah. So tell us what you get out of being a solo athlete versus being on a team, two-man, four-man, or otherwise, or even leading a team. Yeah, I think the big drive on being on a team is what I was kind of getting at earlier is about giving back. I mean, you have all this knowledge and all this training that I went through, and I just wanted to share that. And I feel like... I don't necessarily have the typical military leadership style. I feel like I'm not like in your face or I'm not very intimidating. I'm not the guy you look at and be like, you know, I don't have that instantaneous, like, wow, you know, that guy, I'm gonna listen to whatever he says, but I kind of do that through my actions and my act, like I lead from the front. And I think when people see what and I'm capable example. of, yeah, and by example, and just doing the right thing. I think that's a, a much more powerful mm -hmm. way of leadership than just, hey, you do this or, you know, you just just questions. having that character that people want. Yeah, that, that wouldn't ask questions or, or and it and it opens the door too for you to grow because I'm not always going to be right. Yeah. And if one of my soldiers or one of my teammates, how I like to look at them is, you know, offering a better way or a possible way to do something, I'm definitely going to hear them out. and and kind of take that into consideration. So I think that drive and that desire to kind of want to give back and uh, be a part of a team and learn and grow. And I mean, we have that, like you said, human connection. You want to be a part. And I didn't have maybe that family experience that I grew up in. In the military, I feel like I got that. Like yeah. it's, it's yeah. something I missed out on, but I feel like I am part of a family and a team being in the military mm -hmm. and having those experiences. There's some really good people out there. I mean, there's there's just, uh, and you know, I don't think I would have met them. I, de I definitely wouldn't have met them any other way of, unless I was in the military. So, and I'm still meeting amazing people. I have, you know, an amazing team heading yeah, into Primal young. Quest. And yeah, I, <laughs> you got plenty of years here. And there's, uh, yeah, a lot of opportunities to do some other team events. So um, I'm mm -hmm. pretty stoked about um, coming up for Primal Quest and just joining into the California National Guard. So there's 
of We're course the to have you. yeah of course there's the national guard for every state but you can very easily transfer to other states and other units if you know other opportunities arise and i did um yeah almost 10 years in the colorado guard so i was just coming up on nine years i transferred in 2009 so did a lot of stuff for them got to see a lot of things and thought it was time to kind of experience something different and that's what's cool about the military i mean you can there's a lot of opportunities so to do opportunity. yeah different stuff in different places and and yeah you can move on and you can kind of make those decisions as as needed and kind of what's best for your um, not only personal development but your um your military professional development as well so i think this job as an officer will help me out understand it so i'm gonna be working logistics which okay. i've never worked before mm -hmm. so i've done communications i've done well, you know ranger stuff yeah you're exactly super organized you're gonna rock that <laughs> so yeah just uh, gotta it'll be one more thing to just learn and and keep in the toolbox in case i i need it for anything so will we see you back and forth california colorado or what will your life look like for a while yeah absolutely so we've just been going through another big life change in my family uh, we just moved houses for the first time as a full family and that was that was extremely difficult like i it took about a you know three or four week month uh or a process of packing boxes beforehand and uh, getting everything well, you ready. Have a wife and two kids is a lot of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't have a very open schedule either. Like I'm, I'm trying to maintain my mileage during the most important time of the season. This is the championship season. This is when all the world championships, the North American championships, the big qualifying races, are now. So the miles and hard work that I need to be putting in were during you know the time that we're moving. So it was difficult to balance that you know, getting up early and doing a 14 mile run and then trying to find the energy to carry boxes all day into a moving truck. <laughs> it's great training, yeah, right? but at the same time, it just wears Don't you down. Gym. Yeah. No, I mean, I was, I have a, a heart rate variability tracker and calorie tracker based off of your day strain. I was burning between nine and 10,000 calories a day, just oh, working goodness. out and moving boxes. And that's typically I'm only about six. So I was burning 4,000 more calories per day. And yeah, I definitely felt like I lost a little bit of weight, lost a little bit of mass that I had put on. So just getting that back mm. now in the coming weeks is, is gonna be a challenge. But so yeah, I'll definitely travel. Very easy flights to get over here, um, direct flights into uh, slow from Denver or just yes. a small hopper from Colorado Springs. You know, it's only a four hour um, turnaround trip. So it's, it's not bad. So I'll definitely live in Colorado Springs. I think there's a lot of opportunities there too with the Air Force Academy, with uh, Fort Carson, the Olympic Training Center. So I am definitely looking long-term into trying to set myself up. You know, to, I can't always be a professional athlete or I can't even always be in the military. So there's always, you know, after retirement or I would like to get to retirement, that point where you need to transition and be in a good area and for my kids, you know, it's a great schooling district there. Really good opportunities to be in the mountains and be outdoors. So, yeah, I think we're uh, we're enjoying that. And I'll just travel here to California to do my uh, training that's required and maybe not required just to come out and enjoy California. I do a lot of races out here for Spartan Race and obstacle course racing in general. And the California Warrior team. Yeah. California Warriors now we're we're, gonna we're be looking doing obstacle we're going to be doing adventure yeah, who knows looking, what's going to be next exactly right? looking to expand the program find new soldier athletes to come into and I I've got a very vast uh, reach as far as other athletes I've competed with in all army who are about the same transition point that I'm in so okay. I'm I'm looking to reach out to them and 
to new athletes that I meet at races and really, you know, spread the word. California Warriors, and I think it's a great program, great opportunity. I think a big transition that you're already making is coaching and mentoring others. So let's talk about that a little bit. What's that look like for you already? And what, what would you like it to be as you progress in your own career, but look towards retirement? I mean, you still have so much to offer, even honestly, if you're 100, like you're still <laughs> in the game in that way because we need people like you. Yeah, absolutely. And this weekend we had a great opportunity to sit down with Ian Adamson and see that kind of living into fruition. Like he's accomplished so much in his career and he still comes out and, you know, coaches and mentors and gives us some advice on how we can improve as a team. And so about a year ago, I started with some small athletes that actually approached me like, you know, what do you do for training? What do you do? And I'm like, man, I never really thought about coaching or I never thought about giving that advice. And one of the things, you know, I just told him, I was like, well, I, I can only give you, you know, what made me successful. I don't know if that's going to necessarily translate into something that'll work for you. They're like, man, yeah, let me just try it out. And I was like, okay. So I, I worked with about 10 athletes and then decided to open up my own LLC, um, Dark Horse Obstacle Course Training. So it's Dark Horse OCT. And I kind of always saw myself as a, a dark horse and someone. I mean, I won a world championship on my fourth race and everybody was <laughs> there awesome. like, who is this guy? No one knew who I was. And it's just one of those things where I felt like I was always preparing for obstacle course racing. I just never knew it. All my military training, we do obstacle course training all the time. Yes. So just putting those two together, opening up the company and just mainly everything's online based. So I do everything on an online platform, two weeks programming at a time and just giving a lot of running advice, really. I have 20 years running experience, uh, 20 plus years, and how to translate that into what you need to do for obstacle course racing isn't very easy because you have to be balanced in endurance, speed, and strength. You need all three. You can't just be a fast road runner. You can't just be fast in the mountains. You also have to carry everything. So you have to be able to do you know, ninja obstacles where you're out there doing rigs and rings bars and just climbing ropes and stuff so it's it's a really difficult sport to train for and I think uh, just the level of, of consistent success that I have I may not win every race but I'm always in the top three or I am winning a you know a consistent amount of races in a row and I think that's just a, a correlation to the type of training that I have developed either through best ranger or through triathlon and it's really just blending all of those into a really good program and, and you coach civilians and military? Yeah, so okay. I, I, uh, right now I only have three military athletes. Um, one of them uh, has won the road marching uh, category for the best ranger competition in the past three years. Gaudet, he's, he's just a beast out there running with a rucksack on, and now he's transitioning into OCR. So it's kind of cool to see that I'm bringing over some athletes for yeah. from best ranger. And, and what was really cool, the year I won, in 2016, they had a Spartan race as one of the sub-events in the Best Ranger competition. Oh, perfect. So we got to bring obstacle, and everybody was like, oh, that's that's BS. You know, like, <laughs> you won the world championship in 2015. I was like, yeah, but I've been doing Best Ranger for five years. I, I, I won that in, you know, like a four-month time period before Best Ranger. I was like, come on, man, five years and four months, like... But it, but it was one of those things that I think was cool f to bring into the competition. Like we were already doing military style obstacles and a lot of those obstacles were based off of, that they incorporate into OCR are, you know, based off of the military obstacles. So it's, it's kind of cool that they brought them in. But yeah, so the civilian side is cool because I think they get that military influence as well and kind of get to see how it's run sometimes just 
based off of my coaching style. Mm-hmm. And I have now 25 athletes I've captured at that. But I think going on, I'd like to expand it. It's just right now, I don't have the capacity to give them the time they need to do more than 25. And that's still very difficult on me, having a program. And I try to personalize towards each person's distance because there's three different distances in OCR. You can have a sprint, a middle distance, and then a long course. I try to base everything off of the middle distance and then just do supplemental workouts taking from or adding to the base workout to cater towards those specific distances. And I have a couple athletes who want to go ultra. There's, you know, 100 mile plus opportunities where you're doing 24 hours of obstacle course racing, five mile loops, as many as you can do. So you can pretty much, you know, dictate the amount of suffering you want to do. You can go out and do 25 miles, you can do 50 if you're capable in in the 24 hour period, or you can push yourself to 100 plus miles and over 400 obstacles in a 24 hour period. And it's it's way more that was actually like one of the things they're like have you ever done an ultra before and i'm like no i've done world's toughest mutter which is 100 miles plus 400 obstacles like i think you know it'd be very attainable for me to just go out and run 100 miles somewhere this takes it to a different level you're out there wearing a wetsuit at night you have a lot more considerations you have penalties for obstacles you don't pass so you have to kind of think about all those things. And most importantly, you know, part of coaching is nutrition. It's recovery. It's mobility. It's not just out there grinding, you know, doing a lot of workouts. You have to get proper sleep. You have to feed, fuel and feed your body. Yeah. You have to have the right equipment. So I think a lot of my athletes come to me for that. And I don't, I don't have an obligation. I'm, like, I'm not like, hey, you guys have to stay for a year or six months. You want to come for one month? get what you can and go and And I'm more than happy if you want a 12-week program I've got those set up where people can just go out and train on their own and they have the workouts that they want to do or if they want to meet my my biggest thing in my coaching style is for long-term goals I want people to realize that you can't just make something happen overnight if you really want it to do well at it you can 100% go out and complete a race but I think the the people who come seek me out, they want to be on a podium. They want to be the elite contenders. They want to really step up their training and perform to a level that they they want to win their age group or win their category. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the people I'm helping facilitate, meet their goals faster. So I'm just giving them all the all the cheat codes pretty much on how to, you know, make it to the top. And there's other athletes who are also interested in doing this professionally who are like, hey, how do you get sponsors? How do you get recognition? Like, how do you do social media? And there's a, there's a, it's such a like dynamic thing to be a professional athlete. You never really understand it until you're in it. Yeah. Like I was just like, man. You're never off either. No, there's always something you're doing. You're, you know, you're either doing racing, training, you're trying to figure out sponsorship opportunities, you're booking travel, you're doing interviews, post-race, pre-race. And one of the awesome things with OCR is they, you know, they've been working with NBC Sports the past few years. So there's been a lot of opportunities to do stuff on TV. ESPN now is picking it up, Facebook Live. So having that social media outreach and really getting people, I mean, it's the fastest growing sport in the world right now, statistically. And, you know, we have over 5 million participants who actively go out and compete each year around the world over... You know, 150 races in 70 countries. I mean, it's it's Phenomenal. just it's crazy, and yeah. just and just like five years, mm-hmm. like it's just blown up. And I don't think it's going away or getting any smaller. The format might get more fine-tuned and changed, and especially as we develop a governing body, 
which has been pretty difficult. Like a lot of race brands don't want to give you those elite athletes or that elite wave, or they don't want you to come in and tell them, you know, that there's certain the standardizations yeah. that you have mm -hmm. to have around the world to make it fair or to have, you know, rankings so that people can get selected to compete at international competitions. Cause that's the next level for the sport is being able to do this worldwide with some type of standardization. You may not have all the same obstacles at a race, but you maybe have a pool of 50 that you would only see. You're not gonna see anything outside or new. Well, we want it to become an Olympic like sport. That. It's gonna, it's Absolutely. the only way, you know. Yeah, so we're excited to try to at least be on that glide path and I'm, you know, honored to be involved with that process and to be, you know, talking to Right now we're under modern pentathlon, so Rob Stoll is the guy that I, I link link up with and you know talk shop about the development of the sport, and that's you know another a whole another process in itself is getting the Olympic Committee. It's very political. It's very sure. like you don't realize that again until you're <laughs> until you really have been dealing with. You can't just go in and establish a sport. There's a a massive checklist that you have to go off of and really figure everything out before you can get to the point where you can say hey this is going to be even on the ballot to be considered so we're trying to go through that process right now and it takes years so yeah. it's it's yeah it's just one of those things you got to be committed to and just it's one of the reasons that we primal quest have partnered with ian adamson yeah. and you know world ocr and helping to make that happen and bringing primal quest a new race yep. which is what you guys are going to be um, competing in the short course haha -ha, you know yeah, short course but yeah five days is not short but the pursuit where it will be the world ocr expedition championship race you know moving in that direction bringing new ocr athletes over into yep. ar and then creating that next level um, opportunity there as well yeah, and we're I, excited that you're going to be part of that i'm i'm also very excited i think that's the type of crowd who would love adventure racing but it's one of those things like they don't know of it until they do it so if they come out and do the race or they you know get into adventure racing i think it's going to be very similar to ocr they're, yeah. they're going to like it they're the type of athletes who are going to like this type of event they just might for sure might not know about it so and uh there are a lot of team OCR races as well. So I, I definitely want to reach out to the frequent, you know, athletes that go out and do the team races and be like, hey, why don't we try to do this as a team as well? If nothing else, it's a great training opportunity for OCR as well to come out and work with the team for five days together. You're racing, but essentially, you know, you're also training together and getting more time and you get to do an event too. It's cool. It's, it's, it's a win-win, I think. Yeah, we want to do more of what we did with you guys this weekend, bringing in teams, doing training together, bringing mm -hmm. in experts in the space, going to some really cool places. So we'll be moving yeah. around doing that. And Primal Quest will be in Moab, Utah next time around. Awesome. So shout out to the audience. Yeah. So more of a desert scape and a different kind of, you know, opportunity there to do test your skills. Yep. But we're really looking to grow that short course race and bring OCR people over. So. I think you're going to be a big part of that, and hopefully you'll be one of our marquee coaches or involved in our camps. Whatever your capacity for availability is going to be, we'll work that out. Yeah. And then the California Warrior Team, yep. really um, getting behind that movement and putting some muscle into it and some energy, which you know I'm very passionate about. Race Slow yep. is in Endurance Town, USA. Those are big partners of ours in the National Guard. We love the military in all capacities, so 
um, you know, just kind of what would you say to people who are sort of hovering in the wings right now, thinking about stuff like this? Maybe they've done a Tough Mudder or a Spartan. Yeah. Um, maybe they haven't. Maybe they've never even heard of adventure racing, for example. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, where do you start? I think, you know, just uh, like OCR, like I think a lot of people have doubts until they go out and just do it. And then they're like, man, this was awesome. I want to do another one. You get that hunger to go out. So maybe start with a shorter adventure race, just, you know, six hour, 12 hour. You know, that I think that's going to just fuel you to come out and compete with some friends. You know, yeah, some people that you, you want to come out and have a different experience with. It could be a significant other. It could just be some college friends Test or something. Test your relationships. Exactly, because that's what will happen. You will get into awesome. a point at the race where you're going to have some disagreements and there's going to be some uh, decisions. But that's what's great is you get done with it and you reflect on it. And I think that's what everything's about. It's about experiences, seeing things through a different lens. You have to, you know, get outside your comfort zone sometimes to see those things. And that's the only way you're going to experience them. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people are hesitant about. They want to be in that comfort zone. Just get outside of it. It's it's so much, you know, fun. And that's the only way you're really going to truly develop and see what you're capable of. And the human body is really capable of some amazing things. Like I, you, you don't know your limits. Like you, you've only hit a fraction of them until you've done something like this, like a five or four day, you know, very little sleep. You're going all the time and you realize like, man, you know, like it's crazy, you know, what you can do on just a little bit of calories or a little bit of training, a little bit of sleep, how far you can go. And even just the mental capacity of how far your teammates can push you and develop you. And, yeah, I think uh, just get out there and do it. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. And there's a lot of opportunities, even within OCR, to do something like event race. So we do what's called hurricane heats. Okay. There's like a six-hour um, or a 12-hour and then a gogi, which I think is very similar to adventure racing. It's a 48-hour or, and I've done, I mean, they're, they're more destination races. So they're in like Mongolia, yeah. China, Super like Iceland. Exotic. Like, yeah, you do these really cool and they're, but they're more, they're a little bit different than adventure racing because it's not necessarily a race. It's a survival type okay. event where you're. Do they make you eat weird things? Because I'm not. A no, fan of it's not it. necessarily that. You're just out there like, uh, it's all it's teamwork based. So you're out there with a lot of people, and it's a it's a little bit of phases. So you go through like a boot camp phase where you know like, all right, let's you're gonna start off with 500 burpees, but okay. you have to do them in unison or something. So. And that's all they tell you. So then obviously you need someone to step up and be established as a cadence caller. You don't need to be a leader, but someone to get in yeah. front and make sure everyone's in sync. Just little things like that. And then you you look at it and you're like, 500 burpees. Like, can I do 500 burpees? 10 it, at a time, you sure the hell can. And it'll, yeah, it'll defeat some people. And you'll, you'll lose some people there. So I think they just have a process of getting to the end of people who really want to be there. And you'll do, you know, like you'll hold a bucket over your head for while you're doing lunges and stuff like that. But then you get to a process where the team event turns into an event, individual event. Then you'll go out and do some land navigation. You'll have, you know, maybe some boards or buckets that you brought. You have a packing list, so you bring your packing list. They'll distribute some stuff, and you have to land nav to each point. Mm -hmm. um, each point you pick something up, and it, it makes an apparatus. So you may have to carry two buckets of water back to the start, but the only way to get the things you need to carry those buckets is to go to each point properly. So then it turns into like some navigation see, and some yeah. self uh, skilled um, events that you, you'll come back and then whoever survives that kind of gets to stay and finish the 12 hour event. And then you move on to the next, you know, a gogi where you learn some survival skills. 
and some fire starting. So it's more teaching while doing those tasks mm -hmm. and working as a team, but it's never really a competition. So I think those events in themselves will really help you um, and have helped me set the stage to compete in one of these four or five day short course events uh, with Primal Quest. So that's I think interesting. Yeah, that's kind of what we're going to be doing with our camps. Yeah. Is um, creating exactly. that non competitive model for people to team build, learn the skills in a yep. very safe, controlled environment, still in epic places like where yep. they're having a great, like just going for three days to do this in the outdoors. That's a win yeah. if it's just a vacation, right? Absolutely. But uh, training the next you know, level of athletes from couch potato into yep. elites. So that's cool. Yeah. All right. Just well, ripping people off the couch. I have a couple other questions for you. Getting people off the couch. <laughs> um, one thing is you, we didn't touch on this earlier. You were also a combat vet in mm -hmm. Iraq for a year, correct? Yes. Yeah. So we want to thank you for your service. You've been in the military for a long time. I mean, at a very high level, you still obviously are protecting our country. And I wanted to know what does freedom mean to you? So yeah, freedom for me is is super important. I think it's just being able to, for me, like live in your country without fear, like without, like I think a lot of people, it's weird when you're in a special operations community or when you're in Rangers, they're like, don't, don't wear military hats around or don't wear, don't put bumper stickers on your car. Don't, don't be like the typical military guy. Like you can, I can sit in the airport and I can, I can literally just pick out ev everyone who walks by. I can be like, he's in the military. He's in the military. You know what I mean? Interesting. But I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that hidden mentality. Like why, if you're free and you fought for freedom, why should you let, you know, terrorists or anyone else dictate you trying to hide in your own country? Like I, I get the ideology behind it, but I, I don't agree with that. Like, I, I think I should be able to be open on social media. I should be proud that I'm in the military. I should be able to wear Absolutely. my military hat or my flag and if I want. And I think that's a part of your freedom. You shouldn't like be like, oh, well, I, I want to be hidden in my own country, you know? And I'm yeah. like, well, I don't, I don't get that as freedom, but, uh, but also just, you know, providing, uh, for my kids, I think that's my biggest push for doing everything that I've been doing is I want them to have a the freedom of choice to do whatever they want. I want to expose them to numerous things, but I want them to be able to freely choose um, whatever path they want to be on and have those opportunities. And I think being in a, a country that allows those, you know, maybe, you know, there is law, there is government, there is a, a type of, you know, you just can't go out and do whatever you want, but you're free to make choices to set yourself up for success. And I think that's my kind of overall, you know, definition of your freedom is you have the freedom to be successful and be and make the choices and have the opportunities. And I just want to set my kids up for that because I don't feel like I, I don't know how I turned out the way I did. Like <laughs> I, yeah, I just kind of, yeah, hard work and dedication. And I, yeah, I think that really that drive to make sure that I knew that everything that I was doing would make my kids' lives better. So mm -hmm. I just really want to give them the opportunity and maybe give them the life that I never had. But at the same time, I don't, I can't say that because I've had a pretty amazing experience and amazing life, so. And everything that's transpired has made you the man you are today. Exactly. And uh, I don't, yeah, and I, I'm, I almost fear that sometimes. Like I don't want to give my kids all the answers or all the help, <laughs> but at the same time, it's you hard won't. not to as a parent. You know, I want them to figure things out for themselves, but I already see my son following in my footsteps doing you know 
OCR races, kids races and awesome. training and running, you know, he's like, he wants to go running with me. He wants to ride his bike beside me. I, I push my kids in the Bob stroller. I've run probably the tires bald on that thing two or three times over just how many miles I put on there running with the kids, but it is phenomenal training as well. Yeah. Having to push a double Bob stroller or even a single or, <laughs> you know, carrying it. my daughter hiking on my back incorporating my kids. So, um, yeah, that time in Iraq was, it was definitely eye-opening too. I think it can contribute to some of the success I've had because when you're in a real situation where you're being shot at or someone is literally trying to kill you, like it's, it's a fear that you, you can never understand until it's actually happening. And you can always look back on that and be like, hey, at least forget. somebody is not trying to kill me right now. I may it's be hungry, I may be tired. But yeah, and it's it's weird, like the situations we were in Iraq sometimes, we would get mortared a lot. Oh. And there's nothing you can really do. Like it's it's almost like it's like it's it's cheating almost. Like you're you have no defense almost. Like people are just lobbing bombs at you and it's you might get hit or you might not. There's nothing you can really do. I'd rather I'd rather go face to face battle yeah. and like see my enemy and be able to shoot at him. But I mean, there aren't any real rules to war i mean especially in iraq people will do whatever they can do to defeat you to kill you and you have to realize that we may have some rules of engagement but the enemy does not so it's it's that's that's a difficult thing to understand too when you're there is like why why can't i go out and shoot this guy if you know or why can't you know a attack helicopter just find his position just you know kill him if he well, he wasn't close enough to the mortar system, et cetera, et cetera. This is crazy. It's mind-boggling. But, uh, but yeah, I think those those times when you do go out there and have a successful mission, though, or you you know you, you track down a high-value target and you take them into custody and they're, you know, getting information and you know you're building a target packet to get to the next guy, to the next guy, and that's that's pretty much what it's all about. You're just trying to get to the baddest guys and figure out you know who that next guy is and how to how to capture them and at the same time you gotta keep the peace with all of the the residents who live there and the you know the, the people the citizens of that country and they're distraught their country's in war and they're not getting the normal services that they receive so trying to help them out and make that transition to where you're not there to take over their country you're trying to help yeah and it's hard it's hard to get that point across sometimes and yeah it's 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 a weird thing i i don't know how to really explain it it's something you would just have to have had experienced or or seen yourself i guess so. let me let me ask you this as we start to wrap up in terms of that experience and the experiences you've had specifically being in the military and all these vast diverse roles that you've you've held and you think about yourself as an endurance athlete so how do those two worlds feed each other and how do you feel that endurance athletes can be most served you know with some insight around how everything you learned in the military everything, everything you've seen and experienced how it serves endurance yeah i think you know a lot of the mental toughness grit i think that's a big thing that you learn in the military there's times where you you don't have a choice like you have to complete the mission you have to be mentally tough you're not just doing it no for quitting. yourself yeah you're doing it for the guys to your left and right like you if you fail at something they're the ones that could die not you so you don't want to put someone's life at risk um you really want to and the same thing on a team you don't want to be the one that you know fails or causes your team to have to to drop out or or to quit 
And yeah, I just don't think that's an option. Um, and that's kind of the, the way that you can translate, I guess, from, you know, being in the military to endurance athletes is you, they have that mentality. Like even if they're, they haven't been in the military, I see that correlation is they just have this desire to keep going. Even if you don't always have to run. I mean, there, you can walk. If you, you can't walk, you crawl like that. You just keep making forward progress. Exactly. And I think that's a very similar thing that I've seen. And, and yeah, I mean, I mean, every deployment doesn't have to be a combat deployment to learn something either. There's multiple facets of deployments. And I mean, I've done peacetime operations. I've been to Korea, I've been to North Africa. I've done, you know, training with partner forces. And I think that's one of the things I see as well in other special operations or just regular forces. When they see an elite, you know, U.S. soldier, they see that never quit yeah. attitude and I think it kind of bleeds over and they want to receive that training and they want to receive the tools that they need to keep their country safe and yeah I think that I mean the correlation is strong I, I really think that I don't know any endurance athletes who don't want that yeah so, exactly <laughs> bring I, it on <laughs> for sure so um, yeah I'm just excited to have had those experiences in my life and yeah to be sharing them with the audience out there and I'm sure there's a lot of other very similar athletes that have been successful that are military i can think of a few so i don't think i'll be the last one and yeah. hopefully inspire some others uh, to keep doing the same things well thanks for being our first guest on faces of endurance super stoked to have you here and i think we should wrap it up and go jump in some kayaks and hit the ocean sounds good i'm Ready excited go? yeah it looks chilly uh, like cold water. <laughs> yeah we're gonna get wet <laughs> all right bud thanks for your time Appreciate there you guys. It. take care thank you so much Huge thanks to Killing for carving out time to sit down and chat with Sam, especially coming off his full day of training and kayaking and basically putting himself through the ringer in preparation for Team California Warriors involvement in Primal Quest 2019. If you'd like to follow Killing on social media, the best way to track him is through Instagram. His handle is at Robert underscore Killian. That's Robert underscore K-I-L-L-I-A-N. You can also find him online through his website, SpartanKillian.com. Hey, and thank you for joining us on this adventure to Endurance Town, USA, where we get the incredible opportunity to sit down with these really amazing people living the endurance lifestyle. Thanks again to our partners over at the Slow Ultra. Find out more about them again by visiting sloultra.com. And if you haven't yet, make sure to hit the subscribe button on your device now to catch the next podcast as it lands. Also follow us online at EnduranceTownUSA.com or check us out on Instagram at EnduranceTownUSA. We post lots of fun photos, behind the scenes shots, and other cool things. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you the next time we go on this little journey to Endurance Town, USA.